0: And
1: so I says to Mabel, I says, well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Slightly Something Else, the show in which Yahtzee and I talk about whatever we want, dancing around Dark Souls all the time.
0: Certainly do. And perhaps as a measure to avoid getting into Dark Souls yet again, we have decided to talk about quirky games, not (laughs) horrible, violent games full of misery and death nice cheerful charming quirky games Mm, i like it with a specific one that i had in mind okay which was earthbound on the Mm snares which i feel is quite an important game in the history of video games and perhaps i should say indie games it had a rocky open earthbound Mm -hmm. especially in the west it didn't sell very well. Mm-hmm. I think it sold like 100,000 units in the US. And not for want of trying, Nintendo of America were really like pushing it. They tried to do this whole campaign that centered around a scratch and sniff book, which was full of very unpleasant smells. <laughs> Wait, this was a real thing? Yes, this was a real thing. And it didn't really work out. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds kind of terrible. It's only really in retrospect that Earthbound became a cult classic.
1: Well, I think part part of the cult classic status is the fact that it was it was a mythical find. It was a very hard game to get a hold of in the States.
0: Well, probably because no one wanted a game box stinking up their living room <laughs> with its scratch and sniff card. Right, right. I only ever played it emulated. I first heard about it back in the earlier days of the internet when I was hanging around like indie game message boards. Mm-hmm. I used to hang around a site called Home of the Underdogs.
1: Okay.
0: There was there was a site focusing on like Abandonware and lesser known indie titles. Oh, I like And it. it was Hang Around There that I was directed to this game on the snares from many years ago, mm. which is quite unique in the world of Japanese RPGs. And it is a Japanese RPG because it's about teenagers using the power of friendship to kill God. <laughs> but everything else about it is very unique. It has an almost primitive art style, I'd
1: say. Uh, you know, yes, it, very primitive art style. Like, the, the world map is very reminiscent of, like, the, the cartoon edges of a Super Mario world. The character design is hyper-simplistic. I I want to say that's all purposeful, though.
0: It always gave me a Charlie Brown vibe. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think the, in the original intention... Hang on, I've got the Wikipedia article up here. <laughs> they wanted to create an RPG with a difference. An RPG that wasn't, you know, set in the standard sort of RPG setting, but in a a modern setting that explored some modern concepts as well as, you know, teenagers using the power of friendship to kill God. Mm -hmm. Of course, it wasn't the first game. First game was a game called Mother on the NES.
1: Right. Because, Uh, of course, we we know it as Earthbound, but uh, over in Japan, it was Mother 2.
0: Yes. Right. And uh, it only really like became a cult classic with Earthbound. Mother was a bit uh, lesser, I'd say. Oh, it was okay. almost al- almost a prototype, I'd say. It's fine to start with Earthbound,
1: <laughs> not Mother Three, which did come to the w- which came to the Game Boy Advance, right?
0: Yeah, I don't think it ever got a Western release.
1: I want to say it got a very limited Western release.
0: Uh, there's a fan translation. That took quite a few years to come out. That everyone was hyping about for a while, mm-hmm. but I don't think there was ever an official release of Mother Three Ooh. in the West.
1: Interesting. Oh, you are correct. Japan only Mother Three uh, for the
0: game. it all the weirder that they made the protagonist of Mother Three one of the characters in Smash Brothers.
1: <laughs> Be, only because, like, people know of Earthbound only through the hype. It's it's amazing the amount of characters people know from EarthBound, the majority of them having never played EarthBound.
0: Yeah, it's funny that okay. a lot of them know them from Smash Brothers, of course. Um, oh, sure, sure. It's it's a weird anomaly almost. It's a lesser known Nintendo franchise. and But they just keep bringing it into Smash Brothers for some reason. <laughs> I can think of better known Nintendo franchises that took slightly longer to get into Smash Brothers.
1: Do you think like the creators of Smash Brothers were just a fan, and we're like, I, I, I'm, we're already doing something weird here. Let me get, let me get Ness in there.
0: It's possible, maybe did I hear somewhere that it- Itoy, the like designer of Earthbound, worked on Smash Brothers? Oh, maybe, maybe. And so it's just like, hey, I'm, i I might be there. pulling that right out of my supple and prolific ass. Mmm, <laughs> mm, so supple. I I don't know, but uh, maybe someone on the inside had an affection hmm. for mm-hmm. Earthbound as a because as you say, it's a cult classic. Earthbound, right. it's not your daddy's JRPG.
1: Well, I think like that's the heart of this of this topic here is, b- besides it being known for not being available anywhere, it is widely regarded as like. Your first delve into the weird game.
0: It's certainly a weird game. It, I think that's what carried a lot of its reputation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It starts off just weird in a sort of um, unconventional for JRPGs, but um, children's book sort of weird. Mm-hmm. Like you're a kid, you wake up in the middle of the night, There's an asteroid has fallen near your home. And you go to it and you get pulled into this whole conflict with this evil monst- alien monster from the future or the past or whatever. But that's in the background at first. At so first, it's just this quirky adventure where you're like a bunch of Charlie Brown-style kids exploring like, like small-town America. Mm-hmm. You help out the local jazz band. You can go to the arcade and like, defeat a local gang. Right. And it's all sort of, it's... and In the first area, in one area, the first city, there's still this sort of air of, like, Americana, like, cutesy, Norman Rockwelly sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. Then it starts to take a turn for the weird when it introduces, like, a weird Ku Klux Klan-style cult that worships the colour blue. Perfectly That you have normal. to rescue one of your party members from. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why they start introducing the weird elements. And then what happens next? Then you go to like a city where it's like being taken over by zombies and ghosts.
1: Well, see uh, to me, like that's why the art style always seemed very purposeful to me is to set up the, the expectations of being a simple kitty game. So when they started dropping the, all the weird and the quirky, uh, it, it had an, a juxtaposition and it had an impact.
0: Yeah, it starts uh, quirky and like hitty mm-hmm. and it sort of transitions into horror by the end. Yes. Which is a, a strange path, which is what makes <laughs> it uh, such a cult classic and unique to talk about.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and I think like much, much like any good cult classic, it's really... The thing that makes Earthbound endure throughout the years is stuff like this is just the stories is people hear these stories about a Charlie Brown. It's it's like if Charlie Brown all of a sudden, you know, dipped into Twin Peaks hmm. and and people hear that story and it builds up this reputation. And that being said, it's also a very good game if, if you like, you know, turn based RPGs.
0: It's it's a bit clunky in the mechanics. Mm. Like you have to put up with a lot of slow scrolling text boxes in combat. Sure, uh, you swung at the enemy. The enemy was hit for such and such, <laughs> and every action has a little text box. It's not terribly visual as combat goes. No, oh god, no, no. You you don't even
1: see your character like you know Final Fantasy. You know at least you saw your characters like on screen doing the whole Mm. like bounce back and forth while they were fighting. This, you don't even see your characters on screen. Uh, Though, if if I'm remembering correctly, Earthbound also had a fantastic RPG system, which was as you leveled up, if you were a significantly higher level than lower level monsters, you just won the fight automatically.
0: Yeah, and it's a shame more RPGs don't do that. (laughs) That's a nice um, catharsis feature.
1: Right? Well, it just really cuts down on that grind, because you you jump in and it says, you won! You did it! Yeah, you
0: won. Why even bother going through the rigmarole? (laughs) You are so ahead of these enemies, it's not even funny. Let's just move on.
1: It's mathematically impossible for you to lose. We get that. Let's move on. And I think that's that's really fun.
0: I think what I like about Earthbound is that it has a very... um, effortless air to it like if Mm. if all the features feels like um like they're not like the designers are sort of taking their hands off and they're letting it just spin by itself Mm -hmm. and it's very hard to like actively make something that looks like you're not putting effort into it (laughs) Like for, yes. like for example at the start of the game like they ask you to like provide the names for all the characters but also the names or the name of like your main attack mm-hmm. what is your favourite thing the game asks and you just enter the name of it and that's and obviously you enter vagina that's just what you do when, you, when you're 12 <laughs> and so not long into the game you unlock the Psy Vagina ability that causes massive amounts of damage to the enemy <laughs> and you have to enter your favourite food as well so obviously you put vagina in there as well and then you go back to your mum's house <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh and uh say now well, why don't you eat some vagina and go back to bed and many giggles
1: were had i guess like on the on the subject of effortlessness
0: well when I, I guess when i say effortlessness i mean like a lack of um control over the direction of things mm-hmm. well like uh, to, to me, a sense, a sense of abandon, let's say. A sense of abandon,
1: sure. I mean, like, I I remember the early part of the game clearly because I know I tried to play it a few times, uh, before you know playing more of it, and I would always stop in the early areas because, uh, in the early areas, like, this is a game that forced you to talk to literally everyone. Hmm. and. Sometimes you couldn't progress the story until you talked to the one right person who you didn't necessarily feel like talking to. So yes, it, it definitely is a little—it's a little nebulous.
0: That's also a good word. <laughs> uh. But I think, at, at its core, there's an there's an anchor in that game, and the anchor is the fact that at any time you can go back to your mum's house, mm-hmm. and your mum goes. um I'm sure you've had lots of great adventures. Now eat some vagina and scoot off to bed, and then you can get back to your adventures when you're done. <laughs> and you save you save the game by calling your dad. Oh yeah. And I'd say the central theme of the game is like always like coming back to a place of comfort at the end, hmm. no matter what Lovecraftian horrors you're facing towards the end of things. Sure, sure. I
1: like that. I think that's that's really fun, but. I think like delving a little bit into the broader subject of like the quirky game, the mm. the effortlessness helps there in Earthbound as well because it never seems like you ne- you never see their notes, like it never seems like they're forcing these weird things on you. It just all seems weird but r- real within the universe they built.
0: Yeah, you go with the flow because mm-hmm. it's introduced slowly. <laughs>
1: yes, but you know there there are other games, more recent games that try to be, you know, weird and quirky, but it's it's kind of like just hucked at you.
0: Yeah, that's that's the problem. That because Earthbound, being a cult classic, has been a very influential game. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into it's like games most known for being influenced by Earthbound Mm -hmm. at some point. A lot of games don't only really remember that it was quirky or that it was mad and random and weird things happened. They forget that it had that anchor that it had that it started off where you're just a kid in a small town dealing with small town issues Mm -hmm. and how it like earns the quirkiness by building to it. That's that's a
1: great word there. It earns the quirkiness. yes. It it mm. sets uh, it sets up the reality and you can you can only be quirky if you have a base reality to then start tweaking. Exactly.
0: You need the contrast. Mm. I mean, we played a game recently called Everhood, mm. which is in the stable of Earthbound inspired quirky games. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: But that was just that was just focusing more on the psychedelic aspects of earthbound which again was something earthbound worked up to mm-hmm. and there are some very psychedelic moments in that game if you're like the combat a lot of the time the combat they go for a weird wibbly wobbly background and sort of trippy music
1: yes or like what about that that town made entirely of neon
0: yeah I remember. um moonside Ooh, there you go <laughs> yeah, it was sort of like an alternative dimension version of one of the cities you go to mm-hmm. and that's yeah that's probably like peak psychedelia <laughs> well maybe like magicant which is like a dream world you visit late in the game oh, that sorry. might be the peak psychedelic part of that is, game.
1: like is that where you go inside your own dream if uh, it's been a while yeah. since i've played through the whole yeah. thing but yeah
0: yeah, you know, thinking about it, there is quite a few references to the Beatles in the game as well. So you can definitely see the the psychedelic influence that the Beatles had there as well. Sure, sure.
1: Many strawberry fields, I'm sure, were had uh, mm. forever. Uh, but the you know thinking about this whole like the quirkiness being earned, and and thinking about like what makes the game such a cult classic so memorable. Um, uh, to me, I I always think it boils down to the characters, hmm. you know, like that's, you know, like Ness as our protagonist, I suppose he would have to be, uh, you know, like everyone else feeds off of Ness, and you know, all the villagers you can talk to and their bizarre ass dialogue you know, your Kung Fu friend, your all, all the people you meet by contrast to what you perceive to be normal is what gives it that air of silliness.
0: Ness is a very standard sort of anchor character that you get as protagonists often in Japanese games. Mm -hmm. Usually they don't talk much. Usually they're presented as, you know, uh, an every person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They have some incredible secret power Mm -hmm. and, for some reason, everyone just instantly befriends them. They just have this inexplicable charisma. They're just very good listeners. You
1: know, it's called plot char- charisma. Is <laughs> We have to su- move the story forward. Much like plot armor, some characters have plot charisma, and that's okay.
0: Because we need the group to get together, Yahtzee. That's how it works. But, but yes, as you say, it's the characters that make it. Mm-hmm. Right, but your party members all sort of uh blur together after a while once they join your party they all become silent as well i think is the point but you run into all these like uh weird characters You get into random battles with hippies <laughs> with like yeah rock music playing in the background
1: because why not
0: you run into a, a man who is a dungeon dungeon man du- <laughs> and you go inside dungeon man and explore the dungeon he's made for you
1: that's nice that's nice How much how much of the quirkiness do we like, especially like thinking about the characters and thinking about the very bizarre dialogue that they would have? That's something I definitely remember is, you know, you you go up to a random person like in a hotel or on the street and the things Mm. they say to you are incredibly bizarre. How much of that was intentional and how much of that was translation?
0: Well, that's that's uh, the question, isn't it? Mm. I mean, there's a lot of Japanese games that have that interesting effect where you just don't know what the hell is going to come out of any character's mouth when you press on them mm-hmm. because uh Jap- japan is a different culture right
1: and translating uh translating japanese to english uh, a lot of the context is is removed and or distorted hmm. uh, which is fine
0: well it's it's hard to say because there's a lot of stuff that's quirky like di- absent dialogue Oh yeah like yeah some like the fact that you fight hippies and uh insane uh, middle-aged women hmm. who have gone mad and want to have a fight
1: <laughs> right which is all which is all perfectly fine
0: and the fact that if you get lost in a dungeon you can use an exit mouse which is a mouse specially trained to take you to the exit
1: i, j- I just think that's fun i think i think they were having a lot of fun when they when they made the game <laughs>
0: Well, it certainly seems fun. It certainly seems—I mean, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article here, and it says here that Itoe deliberately designed the Mother games with what what he termed "reckless wildness." Ooh, where he would offer ideas that encouraged his staff to contribute new ways of portraying scenes in the video game medium. Oh, interesting. He said he saw the titles foremost as games and not big scenario scripts. So I guess that says that means he was making it up as he went along.
1: Beautiful. I think I think that's beautiful. And I I, I always am a fan of a, a kind of standard, uh, a standard trope, even giving a slight tweak in concept. You know, kind of like instead of using a rope to escape a dungeon, uh, an exit mouse. I think that's really fun and... And, you know, thinking to characters, thinking to world, it's all about having a unique personality.
0: Yeah. And I think in video games especially, quirkiness uh, needs to be present in the mechanics as well. Ooh, okay. All right. And what I remember most clearly about Earthbound is that it had a mechanic that very sort of literalized the user interface in that. Uh, you had a health meter that, like, gradually rolled down every time you took a hit. Right, right. But if for whatever reason you were able to finish the battle before the counter had finished rolling down, it would stop because the battle had stopped (laughs) and you wouldn't lose any more health. And there was a specific, there were specific monsters where their when you their like final fuck you attack was to self-destruct and like do like nine hundred ninety-nine damage. Mm-hmm. And you just had to quickly skip through the end dialogue of the battle before you died.
1: <laughs> right, right. That's oh that's fun.
0: <laughs> and you can see a sort of extension of the idea of literalizing the user interface in Undertale.
1: Whoa, what a which I guess we were gonna segue. get to
0: I guess we're gonna get to at some point, <laughs> which is probably the exemplar of the genre of games I would consider to be Earthbound's legacy. Mm-hmm. Earthbound has inspired a bunch of like indie creators. Uh, Lisa the Painful and Lisa the Joinful mm-hmm. have a very Earthbound y vibe, although they're a bit more nihilistic. I think Undertale uh captures it, captures that feel better than anything else yes yeah well does the, the field of combining that um relatable uh, cheerful charming quirky core mm-hmm. against serious themes serious apocalyptic like almost horror elements and bouncing them off each other to create an emotionally cathartic experience I sound like a very dreary, (laughs) critic-type person. Uh, Would you say you agree with my very clever strings of long words, Jack? Basically, your detailed
1: analysis highlights both the positive artistic elements of Undertale and their clear lineage to its predecessors that it pays homage to in Earthbound.
0: (laughs) <laughs> mm, mm. And, can, and can I just interrupt you there and say, oh, I like the bit with spaghetti in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bravo, a masterclass, a masterclass in quirkiness, right there. You did it. Uh, so the reason why Undertale was able to so wonderfully take the mantle from Earthbound, or at least, you know, point to the mantle and say, yes, this is what we're doing, is because they're also doing kind of their own thing. All of their Hmm. characters, all of their mechanics, all of their world is unique to Undertale, and it's all wrapped up in its own vision of the world, much like what Earthbound did.
0: Yeah, it's definitely doing uh, its own thing, but with the same sort of free-spirited, hands-off sort of mm. approach to letting it go where it wants to. Yeah. But tying back around as well, really well.
1: Well, and it it utilizes these core aspects of Earthbound, you know, the the dry artistic aspects that that we were just talking about. All of these core aspects of, you know, setting up the universe, tweaking slightly over time, having... Interesting characters who are able to exist and give funny dialogue, having a unique uh, combat system integrated in with the world and the theme. All of these things it does while not directly aping off of Earthbound.
0: You know what I think they both do? You know, the vibe both of them give me, okay, that they both feel like a kids' game, but not in the sense of being made for kids. They feel like they were made by kids on the playground, making up ridiculous scenarios as they go along Mm -hmm. and occasionally indulging in weird, horrific concepts because the kids uh, got left unsupervised and watched Event Horizon one weekend. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely got that sort of free-spirited vibe of like uh, a kid's imaginary adventure.
1: Yes. Well, and it's that's something that we can really only find in indie games now. And in, you know, in the early days of Nintendo, they were they it it felt unrestrained. It felt like they it, it felt like there was not a boss telling them no,
0: which is really important. I think that's definitely the sort of uh environment in Shigeru Miyamoto at least wanted to create in yeah. Nintendo back in those days. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
1: Right, and, and it, it worked sometimes, and it didn't work other times.
0: Well, I guess at the time, you could argue it didn't work with EarthBound. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think um, Miyamoto gave Ito-i, like free reign, because mm-hmm. you know he had a good feeling. He trusted in the guy. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, the result kind of left a lot of people like confused as to what the fuck this was all about. We as gamers just
1: may not have been ready for it is that is that a thing was it ahead of its time because it was it was taking game mechanics and and twisting them enough but as a culture we weren't yet integrated enough into all these mechanics
0: hmm? it's possible it's certainly an askance take on uh, established themes mm-hmm. But I, I think a lot of people turned off for it from the way it looked, at least <laughs> early on. It actually came out fairly late in the SNES era. Mm-hmm. I mean, 16-bit graphics was quite a bit beyond what Earthbound was doing at that point. And since it was still, you know, in the developmental times of video games, a lot of graphics were very important to a lot of people.
1: Oh, that's interesting. It'd be it'd be very interesting if that's why people turned away from it. But but I, that also doesn't that also uh, uh, at least a little bit prove my point because Undertale, of course, is uh, does not look super great.
0: Well, no. And I think that's part of how Earthbound founded this legacy of like quirky indie uh f like apparently not much work put into it, but it actually there has been quite a lot of work put into it. Mm-hmm. sort of feel. Yeah. And um, the visuals are part of that because the EarthBand was saying, hey, if you've got weird ideas, but you can't draw very well, it can still work out. <laughs> and Undertale certainly embraced that. Hmm, absolutely. The, the idea is greater
1: than the art, which I, I want to say as gamers in general, we have all internalized now graphics. Yes, aren't necessarily the most important thing for most of us, I'm going to say hopefully at least, uh, anymore. It's only
0: much easier to recreate that sort of uh amateurish art style if you're making a game with a small team <laughs> or just by yourself. Right, right. And uh, when you are making a game with a small team or just by yourself, it's much easier to go out on a limb, to be a bit auteur with it, mm-hmm. to indulge yourself. And I think... If you want to recreate the feel of Earthbound or Undertale, the key is not to try to specifically rip off its themes or its methods. It's just to try to indulge yourself.
1: Well, and it's 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 the core. It's it's you know, yes. I mean, what you're saying is correct, but like to be more specific, yeah. You don't you don't want to make a game where you know little kids are solving a meteor mystery. Uh, while doing quirky RPG stuff, you want to take the, the kind of the, how do you call these? Like the abstract game pillars, not the, not the actual game pillars, the abstract game pillars. Yeah, I I think
0: people will know what you mean.
1: (laughs) Hopefully, because I can't come up with the words, you know, the, the idea of of taking established gameplay tropes, slowly turning them on their head to create a weird world, which we, I mean, we get in other games. We get in plenty of other games.
0: Yeah. Even it's, there's a, there's an innocence to it. It's like, hey, what if we did this? What if we just didn't die if the health bar hasn't run out properly? What if we just didn't bother to program that?
1: <laughs> ooh, ooh, could you imagine I've been mean, thinking like even even bigger video games. This is obviously not a quirky game, but a it, this is a well, uh, a critically acclaimed game, like like a Bioshock of slowly twisting with the idea of player control.
0: Hmm. That's uh, certainly are we saying Earthbound was like the progenitor of uh, all kinds of deconstructive games the whole attitude of uh video game mechanics and their deconstruction that
1: is what i'm saying that is what i'm going out on a limb and saying i'm not i'm not saying that that was their intention but thinking of these invisible game pillars that is something that it brought to the table Hmm. and so you could logically say like oh i really like that in uh In Earthbound, I I really like the fact that they took the established turn-based RPG thing and uh, tweaked it a little bit. What if we applied that to this and this and this game?
0: I was looking at um, Earthbound's uh, Wikipedia article and its uh, influence section, Mm -hmm. or legacy. Ooh, okay. And it's been officially cited as an influence on the game's costume quest, Undertale, and South Park, the Stick of Truth. Okay. Which is certainly a vibe I get. (laughs) <laughs> in fact uh trey parker of south park might have been saying that earthbound inspired a lot of south park generally
1: mm, sure
0: i could certainly has a similar vibe the the kids the small towns the weird mm. flights of fancy
1: i like that i like that and that makes that makes an incredible amount of sense uh, the but but I mean, it really it's just it's the general concepts of, uh, you know, have ooh, hit my microphone, have an established reality, slowly start tweaking that established reality. It's it's uh, satire humor 101.
0: That's definitely something Undertale does. It establishes <laughs> the reality of this. Um, uh fantasy world you've dropped into and mm. in, you sort of make assumptions about it at first you're in like a dungeon there's skeletons and monsters yeah and uh you have standard up you do mechanic abilities and then by the end of the game it's sort of recontextualized all that like you're in a, a, a nuanced world of and all the monsters have uh, complicated believable reasons mm-hmm. for their actions it's it's it has the appearance of being light and uncontrolled and loose, but it's actually very tightly written under tail.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that's part of the that's part of that free flow nature that you're talking about is is lulling people into that comfort uh, and then slowly t- you're, you're the uh, you're the frog in the in the boiling water. Right. You, 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 you don't realize what's happening until it's too late.
0: Some people brought up Amori in the chat. Um, And a lot of people have been bringing that game up to me in streams lately. Okay. Have you played that, Amori? It's a recent indie game that kind of looks quite a bit like Earthbound Hmm. and has a similar sort of vibe. You know, kids in, like, these pastel-y RPG surreal world. But I just haven't been able to get into it because I think the problem I have with it is that it just starts with the surreal world. Hmm throws it all in your face at no one go what,
1: what's how uh, what's a mori spelled like
0: o-m-o-r-i
1: ah. do i know this game i don't i've never heard of this game
0: well it's on steam
1: <laughs> uh, oh oh okay yes very very uh very simplistic style so far i'm just looking at at the uh yeah. the art of it. interesting yeah, this definitely starts, or, or it looks at least like it starts very weird. Mm. But but is weirdness enough? That's the question. And the answer is no. The The answer is no. No, no it isn't. Is not
0: I think Amari doesn't, at least first, a lot of people like have a lot of praise for it, so maybe it gets better if you play through it, mm. but it didn't grab me because it doesn't have the anchor. It doesn't have the core. Right. I mean, when you get right down to it, earthbound and undertale both can be sold with like a core couple of lines <laughs> earthbound is it's a quirky rpg about kids fighting a monster from space mm-hmm. and the tale is usually marketed as it's a non-standard rpg where no where nobody can die mm-hmm. that, that's the anchor that's the sure. hook mm-hmm. but amori doesn't give me anything to latch on to i suppose
1: Maybe it's maybe it's one of those games you just have to play. If people explain it too much, it might ruin the hook. It might ruin the thing that makes it special. I'm not saying that either way, but that's always possible.
0: I gave it a little while. I kind of didn't like the combat either. Oh, (laughs) Um, it's hard to feel motivated to keep at it.
1: Sure. And that's fine. And that's fine. And I think, you know, like I, there there have been other games that have attempted to do quirky that have not been successful. I know you uh you
0: just recently reviewed what was that called? Neverhood. Everhood. Everhood. There was another game called Neverhood. Oh. <laughs> this one was Everhood. Of course.
1: Uh, I know for me personally, this might be this might be controversial, but I the reason I don't like No More Heroes is because I don't like Travis Touchdown as a character.
0: He's um, yeah, he's a certain spice, isn't he? He
1: certainly is. And I know that the attempt is to make him quirky and endearing.
0: I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say that was the intent with Travis Touchdown. I think you're supposed to think he's a bit of a prat. Well, sure, but the quirkiness is supposed to be there. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay, sure. A quirky dickhead. But I, uh, I always thought he erred too much on the side of dickhead for me to actually enjoy being around him.
0: I guess it's uh, yeah. There's a certain taste there. <laughs>
1: that, well, and. And I guess that's, like, that's the other issue that we're running into here when we talk about quirky games, when we talk about any sort of games with humor, is it's not going to land for everyone. And hmm. our, so, ooh, actually, my, my question that I will uh, impose on you is, is the quirk, is enjoying the quirk inherent to enjoying the game? For for something like Earthbound, for something like Undertale, if you don't find it funny or amusing, are you going to have a good time?
0: Oh, I'd say you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's hard to say because it's all integrated so well. Undertale, I happen to think, is a very funny game. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of laughs in it. Sure. But so if it didn't appeal to your sense of humor, then well, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't have that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. I think it's pretty heartwarming as well. Mm-hmm. There's a bit in the good ending where I always well up. Sure. It's always the same moment as well. I've pinpointed it. The exact moment where I start welling up in the Undertale good ending. Mm. It's the bit Well, I can't really say anything without spoiling
1: it There are some people who have still yet to play it, so yeah, we
0: won't. Okay, right. Spoiling. It's it's part of the ending. Mm. <laughs> That's like. I, mean, I might, I might give the give the impression of being a cold and uh, Im- shameless destroyer of hopes and dreams mm-hmm. when it comes to games. But um, my therapist said that I seem like quite a secretly emotional guy. Mm-hmm. And there are, keep unless it, I do keep it bottled down. I've uh, reviewed and played so many games that I do emotionally engage with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. On. Uh, very core level Mm -hmm. and there are quite a lot of games where i've like just had that emotional surge when certain moments happen
1: well and and perhaps i I guess what i'm what i'm trying to what i'm trying to get to here is a a game like everhood is that the aspect that they're missing is the humor the emotional core the
0: like like i definitely think i definitely think it's missing an emotional core Mm.
1: everhood I, I was thinking about that as you were talking about kind of the thing that grounded you in Earthbound is the fact that you can always go home and check in with your dad and, you know, talk to your mom and that sort of thing. Yeah, There's an emotional yeah. – ground. there's there's a, a reality. And I guess that's, that's what
0: it all boils yeah. down to, right? I guess that's what well, was Everhood's problem. It just didn't feel real. It didn't feel like everything had cohesion the way Undertale does. Mm. There wasn't – the emotional anchor. I keep saying anchor. I like the word because if you put a W on the end, it becomes a swear. Boom.
1: <laughs> or, uh, or an adjective um, meaning something very bad.
0: Uh, exactly. So, I think I think if we're going to summarise our point here is that quirk is something that works best when juxtaposed against something that's solid.
1: Yes. Yes, something
0: that's solid. Whether that be a solid emotional core, a solid uh, foundation in, like, reality, a solid, uh, cohesive plot like what Undertale has. Hmm. Just something solid. I mean, it's, something we can rely upon.
1: I want to say we, we touched a little bit on this last week, which was, like, it's the idea of, like, a punchline is useless without the setup. You can't just say a punchline and expect it to be funny you need you need the grounding you need the setup you need that work put into establishing a reality before you can start making it weird
0: Mm. even the most basic humor at all like smacking someone in the face with a frying pan (laughs) wouldn't be funny without the juxtaposition against not smashing people in the face with frying pans wait a minute (laughs) because that's because in that's something just it's just because you don't do that in standard social settings (laughs) you don't just say hello mrs jones pang as you greet your neighbor over the fence
1: well (laughs) i I suppose i was thinking more of like you know if you smacked an old lady with a frying pan it might uh, it, it might not resonate as much. Whereas, it, uh, if you smacked an old mean lady with a frying pan, that sort of context, you know.
0: Well, they're both kind of transgressive. I guess that was my point. <laughs> it's funny because it's com- you compare it against reality, sure, against normal social behavior.
1: Sure, sure. And I just, I guess, I feel like in in a lot of the so weird, so random, so quirky stuff that I have. Uh, taken in be it games or movies or books or whatever a, a lot of times that's what they're missing they're missing the core reality
0: hmm.
1: are we overdue for some super chance do you think we probably are that's what we usually go to after we've made our point so let's do that
0: right well we've made our point several times so
1: <laughs> let's get started i just hope all the games
0: all the games. Thanks for the four ninety nine US dollars. Who asks? Do Papers Please and Return of the Obra Dinn qualify as quirky games? Also, would you say an author director is a key factor for a game's success? I'd say Papers Please is quirky. It's not. It's kind of depressing. I mean, I, when I say quirky and uh, when I think of quirky in the context of Earthbound, I always think of uh, the charming quality of mm-hmm. quirk. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a word? I, I ask you, as the wordsmith here. Is there a word for something like quirky, but on the depressing scale?
0: Surreal, Ooh, maybe. Uh, you know, there is certainly a surreal element to those two games. Mm. Oh, Duffy, uh,
1: I, I would, I would say yes. Well,
0: there's uh, there's a there's, a down, there's quirky, a down
1: quirk, I guess.
0: I'd say quirky is surreal in a positive context. When you say quirky, it's like meant in a positive sense. Mm. It 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 means surreal, but specifically in a good way. So generally, surreal, strange, otherworldly yeah. has a sort of slightly negative context.
1: Okay, sure. So then, uh, on the other side of the coin, I think both of them fall on that scale as as you slowly delve into the uh, dystopia that is papers please or as you slowly mm-hmm. delve into the incredible story that is Oberdin,
0: the nightmarish story yes. of the Oberdin. also will we say an auto director is a key factor for game success well i'd say so but specifically in indie sectors sure uh, someone someone taking control and telling the story they want to tell
1: sh no, I, the, I, I'm, this is where, this is where like my, I, I like, I like teamwork in general. And so I don't think it's key to someone's, uh, to, to a
0: success. I don't think you need an auteur. I think it might be in the context of quirky games. Uh,
1: it, it might be, I would like to believe that an entire team could get on the same path. That's what I, that's just, that's my, more my hope than anything is that there is room in this for a team to work together to yeah. achieve the same goal?
0: Well it's all about having strong leadership skills, I suppose
1: right, and so then where's like where's that gray area between like a an tour and just a good boss?
0: Mm. Well, if you let everyone have a say, you end up with sort of a kitchen sink committee designed mm. sort of feel sure that uh, makes a, that can often make a game seem anodyne. It can seem uh, overly broad. I think um, if you focus it through one person's perspective, Mm. it adds a bit more intrigue, perhaps.
1: Yeah, then that gets into kind of the minutiae of what an auteur actually is. Like, I I, I agree with that sentiment.
0: If you ask me, an auteur is someone who's on a design team, and when the design team is one, someone on the design team says, what do we do this? The auteur is the person who says, no. (laughs) <laughs> bad idea that doesn't work shut up <laughs> whereas in a lot of design teams everyone just goes hmm, that does sound like quite an interesting idea let's see if we can work that in namby pamby mealy mouth you
1: you have a much looser definition of author than i do then so by that definition though i agree with you you do need someone who is uh steering the ship
0: mm. <laughs> so all right Thanks for the questions. All the games. Mm-hmm. I'm not Greg Graffin Gives five forty nine euros. That sounds like oh, exactly like something Greg Gaffin would say. That's all I'm going to say. Well, that's not our place to say. Who asks not video game related, but any tips for getting Kinks out of your back? Um. um they- well, if uh, any member of the Kinks is in your back, I'd start by asking them to leave
1: politely they are they are older now
0: yes uh, i'd say i appreciate their contribution to the 60s british invasion sound mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's no excuse for standing on my spine
1: i think that's fair on a more accurate uh thing uh daily stretches and back strengthening exercises all right <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks mr straight man <laughs> I wanted I wanted to start there, and then you move on to the joke because we just talked about setup and punchline, Yahtzee. but <laughs> but we inverted it. We we uh, messed up with your we subverted your expectations there.
0: There you go. That's how it works.
1: Uh, you can you can find YouTube videos on uh, proper back stretches uh, and do some back strengthening exercises because if you have proper muscles back there, uh, then uh, you will get back aches less often.
0: More Robot Wars content donates five pounds to say, you guys wore me down and I made an effort to have my Dark Souls epiphany. (gasps) Completed a few days ago, it's definitely quirky. Hashtag relevant, hashtag stretch.
1: Very much a stretch. Very, very very much a stretch.
0: Well, that's certainly something I'd classify more as surreal than quirky.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) I can't. I've already used my my uh daily dark souls quotient so i can't i can't talk about it anymore
0: all right moving hastily on thank you someone whose name is just ck and then an interbang, the question mark exclamation mark mm. gives us ten dollars to say i have nothing constructive to add thanks for all you guys make loves heart icon fantastic you're you're welcome ck interrabang say 70 uh, just, well, it just says, welcome to tip jar. So I guess oh, they have just... Thanks for the support. We appreciate it. Give them a tip that. with no real comment. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, hang on, Mr. Place. <laughs> there we go. Benjamin Wilson gives five Canadian dollars to ask, are there any of the games you guys named game of the year that you don't think aged well or changed your mind about? Hmm. Well, what have I said as Game of the Year? I once said uh, Shadow of Mordor was my Game of the Year. Mm -hmm. I guess that was still alright. I guess it's kind of soured now every game is an Assassin's Creed clone. Because that was sort of early on in that trend.
1: Like a little Assassin's Creed, a little crowd control combat.
0: Yeah, but I do still like the unique, you know nemesis system that game introduced and it's always fun just think, to hang out in Lord i think of it's a i think it's a really good uh demonstration of the fact that you can have your baseline that's just an assassin's creed ripoff but if but you got to have some interesting unique selling point on top of that
1: yeah yeah I, I i think like any like looking back on game of the year it's it's so nebulous because obviously it's just game of that year in that time in that mind frame right Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's,
0: yeah, it's just the best game that came out that year. And if it's a shorter year, as they so often are, right. then it probably doesn't hold up to analysis <laughs> in this context of one of the best games ever. right? Like, I think Bioshock Infinite was one of my games of the year. Oh, okay. In retrospect, it was kind of a shitty year. <laughs> I think I'd definitely want to like replay that game before I said anything further. Oh, uh, yeah, that'd be an interesting... possible. I- path it might not have aged so well.
1: Mm-hmm. There you go.
0: Well, there you go. Stephen Shah gives us two dollars to say. Would you consider Narita Boy to be a quirky game? I, I have played that. That came out fairly recently. Oh, okay. I'd say I'd say it's more of a confusing game. Oh, I mean, I started it. I mean, I played it once mm-hmm. for a few like minutes. I started it. It started throwing like concept after concept at me, and I just got, felt completely overwhelmed. Sure. You are in a computer world, and now you must go into the world of the blah and do the blah, and here is a blah, and it represents blah. So, it, and, uh, it, and it completely lacked the anchor we're talking about, I suppose.
1: Well, and I guess that was going to be my, my follow-up question, is like, did it lack the anchor, or did it just not do a proper job of setting it up? Was it too fast a ramp-up?
0: Yeah, it didn't, set, it didn't set itself up properly, okay. to my mind. All right. Aditya gives 100 rupees to say, Hi, Artsy, We rarely hear you mention the GBA on ZP. Any favorite games? How do you feel about Hamtaro Ham Ham Heartbreak? <laughs> that's the important I question. I think I saw my wife playing that once, actually. <laughs> uh, GBA, quite a strong showing in terms of games. hmm uh, There were a couple of good Zeldas on there, like Minish Cap. Oh, yeah. The, my one. personal favorite GBA game would probably be Castlevania Aria of Sorrow. hmm
1: Fine, fine game.
0: So, I mean, which is a very good Castlevania game that introduced the concept of uh, trying of absorbing one ability from every individual monster. Oh, that's right, I remember that. Which it was a, which is a fun way of cataloging the monsters that came back in Bloodstained, mm. which was like a sort of grab bag of all the good features of Castlevania games.
1: Great games. So great great games. yes, great games. There, uh, GBA was full of great games. You got you got your Pokemon's all full of the Pokemon's on them.
0: Did you have a particular favorite GBA game? Probably one of the.
1: I mean, if we're talking I just hours put in, it was probably a Pokemon's. Fair enough, but Minish Minish Cap was uh, a fan- Like I wanna like all of these Zelda handheld games, I feel are I, I feel are cast off as as uh, second thoughts in the Zelda universe, and every single one of them was amazing. Hmm. So, give me, give me a shot,
0: people. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Dragon gives ten, can, 10, I almost said 10 Californian dollars there, <laughs> 10 Canadian dollars. Been playing a Who little says, uh, Jimmy, too
1: much Fallout.
0: Possibly. He says, Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass by Casey Ozami would be my favorite Earthbound inspired game. The idea of exploring the innocent dreams and terror-filled nightmares of an eight-year-old makes for a wonderful game. Mm. Well, I haven't played it, but it certainly does sound Earthbound inspired just from that title sure jimmy and the pulsating mass i mean that could practically be a title an alternative title of earthbound
1: <laughs> well you know like thinking of of i'm i've been trying to like dip into more modern ide- uh more modern games that take this core idea of earthbound and like you know stuff that comes to mind is you know possibly like the stanley parable is you know a game that deconstructs how we think about games even even something like the storytelling in Portal. This is this is a real stretch here, but I think there's a line. I think the no, I, agree. I agree. The we get quirky characters, fun characters, and we get a unique way to tell a story.
0: Hmm. That is I can certainly see the link between Earthbound and Stanley Parable. Mm-hmm. And by extension Portal. Hmm. Great. All right. Uh, Diego Lomac gives five R dollars. They say, probably no way to make a quirky AAA game not being unbearably smug. I remember attempts such as Sunset Overdrive. Also, R dollars is reels from Brazil. Oh, thank you. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Sunset Overdrive was a AAA attempt at the quirky auteur vibe, mm. and it just came across as smug. <laughs> <laughs> Does quirky I, d- 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 oh sorry go ahead what i remember distinctly about that game is that they're trying to bring across the character as you know a sort of free-spirited rebel mm. and at one point the way they bring that across is to have them wax lyrical on rock and roll music they like, you don't like <laughs> rock and roll <laughs> i'll have to introduce you to the <laughs> wonders of rock and roll and it really did feel like a room full of 36-year-olds yeah. writing about how the kids write. Think about what the kids like. Yeah, they, uh, they listen to rock and roll music, right? Is that what kids yes. still listen to now? They like rock and roll, and they do graffiti on their skateboard.
1: <laughs> you can tell that they grew up in the 80s. I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, well, no, my, my question there was, is there an inherent underdog um, uh, characteristic to the quirky genre?
0: Well, as we say, it's an inherently auteur thing, really, Mm. because you don't have to uh, explain yourself to a manager. Sunset Overdrive feels like a game where every aspect of it had to be explained to the publisher. Yes. And they had to sign off on
1: it. Yes, like they had to personally explain to Bill Gates why why rollerblading was still cool. Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, Aluzora. Welcome to the tip jar. No good question there. Touch of Madness gives five US dollars to ask, could a base for quirky within a game be something surreal within the context of the world rules already established?
1: I guess. Could a base for a... Say that again, please.
0: Could a base for quirkiness within a game be something surreal within the context of the established world rules?
1: Yes. Actually that would be an mm, yes. that would be an interesting experiment is
0: start start a game with quirkiness and then do something straight in the middle of it
1: like what if the anchor to the game was it's bizarre like but but you know you you have to make it cohesive that's what we've talked about right it has to be a cohesive world but what if like the anchor is this bizarro world and you start to get used to the bizarro world but then the real world starts creeping in and that's what makes it quirky
0: I would argue that's a lot of what Undertale did. Ooh. They, you, they keep you in this surreal, bizarre world um, until you get used to it. Mm. And then I would say on the path to the good ending, where you go into the horror laboratory and find all the twisted experiments, that's where it sort of takes it onto another angle.
1: Ooh, sure, sure.
0: I like that. That would like a, a surreal moment within the, an already quirky game.
1: Okay, I like that. I like that. All but right. yeah, the the answer is as long as your base reality is cohesive, you can do whatever you want from there.
0: Yes, that's the point. Undertale, mm. as we say, it's a very cohesive mm. base reality. It's got verisimilitude.
1: Ooh, dang, you said it.
0: I love that Count word. it. Uh Leonard Steikerboys Suikelo's Koiken. Wow. Gives 5 euros. Sorry for how I pronounced that and generally for everything. <laughs> Speaking of quirky games, glad Jack gave Professor Layton the respect he deserves two weeks ago. I had a fangasm so big I painted a house white.
1: Oh, with his semen. I get it.
0: With his cup. I yes, it. that I was uh, it. It took a few moments. It took a little bit. Uh, I mean, yes, Professor yeah. Layton's
1: a great game. Fantastic
0: game. And I would argue, Cum couldn't paint a house white. It would just get sort of like gray and damp. My yeah. wallpaper paste. Yeah. But let's not analyze that any further. Dazumaya gives five US dollars to say, Howdy, have you ever played One Shot? If so, what are your thoughts on it? No, I haven't. Sorry. I'm looking it up now. One
1: Shot game. Have I played this? This sounds like something I would play. Uh, No, I haven't. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it certainly has a earthboundy sort of amateurish look to it, sure. just from the immediate look. Uh. Yes, I haven't played that. Sorry. Hmm. Um, F- SK gives five pounds to say happy that Escape is still around. What are your thoughts on the balance of gameplay and story and game design? Does one restrict the other? Only if you let it. I think the best games have always been the ones that integrate gameplay and story together really well. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much um, considering them as separate things like here's a chunk of gameplay and here's a chunk of story. Let's just put one next to the other mm. about figuring out a way to work it all together like the way something like the Stanley Parable does Ooh. or the Return of the Obra Dinn, of course, where you have to unlock the story through the mechanics of completing a bunch of logic puzzles.
1: Yahtzee, you're so wise. You're so wise and mm. handsome. And I think, like you just you just said something so profound that everyone should take a moment and understand the thing you just said, which is stop thinking about story and gameplay as separate entities. And I, I think that oh. that's the real problem uh, for people. You know, like like people yeah. who are too story focused on games and have a little bit of gameplay. They should not exist separately. It is one thing.
0: Yeah let us listen to audio logs over gameplay you (laughs) bastards instead of making us sit on the menu screen until you've played the whole thing don't just fade out a cutscene after every combat arena like it's fucking Gears of War right
1: right bring 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 the story into the game bring the game into the story it's all one big soup baby
0: I save 70 gives 5 US dollars Uh, looks like this will be the last one Mm. To say, Lisa the painful, I'd said is one of the better but less known Earthbound-inspired games. I think it's fairly well known. Hmm. I haven't played through it. I started it, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess something else distracted me. Perhaps it was this adorable dog oh, who's in my gal. I'm having a bit of a yawn. Dorothy. Yes, I know by reputation. Seems a bit depressing, actually. <laughs> like I've seen some like video essays about it as well. Hmm. Great. Oh, we just got two super chats in. No more after this, please. We need to wrap this up, and I need to walk this dog. Another, another donation from Leonard Soiker Boyk's Sükelos Koikin. Wow! Who gives five euro to say I recommend one shot? It combines the doomed World atmosphere with Undertale's meta narrative and quirky characters. It broke my heart with a few lines. Hmm. Well, perhaps sure I will check it out. I ain't much to play this week besides that new Odd World game. I already started it, and I kind of hate it. Um... So perhaps I'll have the time. Speaking of quirky And one last <laughs> comment from Rationally Upset, who gives four ninety nine US dollars to say disco Elysium definitely borders on the surreal at times. Is that Elysium or Elysium? I'm never sure.
1: I've always heard it as Elysium.
0: But that's just me. That's that's probably right. That's just me. I just went say Elysium based on how it was spelled. Sure
1: uh you you have played disco elysium i have not does it border on the quirky or surreal end of the i spectrum? say
0: it does a hell of a lot more than border on the surreal okay. for a lot of it okay and this is a game where every aspect of your personality has its own voice oh. it's definitely worth playing it's on my I mean, list. No you don't like no you don't like story games with lots of reading yeah
1: no, it's on my list. I'm waiting. Uh, I, I think that could be a really good uh, pick-up-and-play game, so I'm waiting for the Switch release, which is supposed to come out sometime this year, uh, mm. because I, I think I would like to play that in small chunks kind of throughout the week. That's, oh, oh, that, and and right there at the Toffee Bell, if you heard the flappity-daps of Toffee's ears, that, yes. that means it's time to wrap this up. Uh, as a reminder... For everyone, Uh, there are YouTube memberships available to you. They help us support shows like this and this very show. You can become an Escapist Plus member, which helps us do things like have extended conversations about what is quirky uh, without having to worry about chasing that dang old algorithm. Sure is nice. It sure is. And uh yes, so make sure you look into that to help support us make our own weird quirky things here at the escapist.
0: And remember if you don't like the escapist side personally, you could always get a YouTube membership and then you can never have to see us again. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see all the videos a-, a week ahead of everyone else. Boom, so
1: exciting. Uh, and you get fun things in the chat here where we can see your name easier. Uh, thanks, mm. everybody, for watching and or listening to this later. Once again, I've been Jack Packard.
0: Hi, I was Yahtzee You can follow me on Twitter at Yarty Uh Nick is mentioning in the chat that there's a throwback stream of Perfect Dark happening today at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. If you want 3 p.m. Central Time, if you're interested in that. And a a Monster Hunter Rise live stream on the Switch channel tonight at 8 p.m. Central Time. So plenty of entertainment to stave off the existential horror of life. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Bye, everyone. See you next time.